0: Hello, and thanks for listening to Forward, a podcast about the ideas that move us. My name is Mari.
1: And my name is Christopher.
0: Thanks for joining us, and welcome to the start of our second season.
1: For our loyal listeners, we wanted to give you a heads up that we've made some changes to our typical format. Last season, we broke each episode into three segments Article Forward, in which we shared an interesting article from the past week, Forward Thinking, in which we did a deep dive into a particular topic, and watch list, in which we recommended a movie, TV show, or book that was flying under the radar. For our new season, we're scrapping the watch list and article forward segments and instead focusing the entire episode on a deep dive conversation, which will be sparked by a recent news article or op ed piece. We'll also be getting a little more academic with these discussions, bringing in additional research rather than just our own experiences. If you have any thoughts on either the format or the content of any of our episodes, please let us know. We always love getting your feedback, and we're happy to incorporate it into the show. Thanks so much again for all your support. With that said, Mari, what are we talking about today?
0: In this episode, we're talking about parenthood and the growing fear that parents have today for their children. Oftentimes, discussions of parental fear focus just on the effects, like overbearing quote-unquote helicopter parenting. But today we're looking at what's behind that growing fear to protect and shelter one's children, as well as how it's affecting kids and parents.
1: This discussion was inspired by an article in The Outline titled, When did parenting become so fearful? The article starts off highlighting the release of a new book called Small Animals, Parenthood in the Age of Fear, written by Kim Brooks. A big portion of this book focuses on Brooks reflecting on her own traumatic experience as a parent. But she also aims to answer a larger question. Why are we like this? Why are parents so afraid for their children? However, the experts she interviewed were pretty light on answers. In fact, the leading free-range kids advocate, Lenore Skenazy, even told Brooks, if you figure out what it is, you'll have to let me know. Mari, what do you think? Why are parents seemingly more fearful today than they used to be?
0: You know, I think there are a lot of factors that go into it. Um, You know, obviously, as someone who works with kids and works with their families, I do see a lot of nervousness and anxiety about um, almost kind of every aspect of of parenting, especially with babies. You know, like every day there's a new thing to worry about. You know, is this going to be a problem? Is this a health issue? Is this going to affect the kids' development? And I think, uh, maybe one thing like maybe I think that for me, one of the main things uh, that contributes to this fear, this like kind of general fear that parents have is almost this access to too much information. Mm-hmm. It's sort of that WebMD effect that everybody has experienced where you have one symptom and you look it up and obviously you see all of the worst case scenarios as as possible diseases that you have. And almost never is it anything that serious. Um, but because you know these parents have access to the internet and they're seeing stuff on the news and they're hearing all these horror stories, uh, their minds always go to the worst case scenario.
1: I'm actually glad you, you said that because I looked all at this Pew Research report to get all these kind of different data points about what parents think about parenting and just kind of the different styles of parenting and how being a parent has changed. And one point that I thought was really interesting that ties into what you said is this. Mothers today are far better educated than they were in the past. So, in the 1960s, just 18% of mothers with kids at home had any college experience. And today, that number is at 67%. So, not only do they have access to more information, they're just better educated and savvier and know that they should be looking and be curious. Mm-hmm. And then, when they go out there to answer their questions, they're discovering that oh my god not only was i worried about x i gotta worry about y and z too
0: totally uh in this article that i read in the boston globe from a few years ago uh they quote uh, child psychologist david anderegg a professor at bennington college and the author of worried all the time he says the crux of the problem is quote frequency overestimation a phenomenon that throws off our sense of how common something is the media overplaying every child abduction for example makes Uh, makes people overestimate the probability because our culture is so visual even if something is rare the images are repeated so much you start to think it's not rare
1: yeah i mean in a funny way kind of taking it away from like that serious example i think a lot about like the flat head thing yeah right Mm -hmm. where like um, I remember when we first started dating, and you were kind of telling me that parents these days focus more on making sure their kids don't have flat heads. Uh, and for people who don't know what I'm talking about, it pretty much means if you know you like keep setting your infant down with them on their back, um, and their you know and their tummies up, their head is constantly up against a flat surface, and because their head is still soft, it could mold and be flat. And God forbid, they'd have a flat head, right? <laughs> And I'm sure in like any other time before this, no big deal. Not something you worried about. Right. But because you read that article that one time that your baby had a flathead, it's like, well, my baby is not gonna have a flathead.
0: Exactly, yeah. And um well and I think um there's in, in addition to that kind of something that uh that reminded me of, it's not just that there's this oversaturation of bad things being reported, but I think there's also this idea of like I should be in control of what happens to my child, and um, and and not necessarily this idea that like my child should be perfect, but th- I think there's definitely a sense of like I should be able to avoid any and all um, adversities for my child, any and all like health problems for my child. Um, and the flathead thing is a really good example because it's like, oh well. Heads aren't supposed to be flat, so <laughs> it's up to me as the parent to avoid my child having a flat head. Um, and I think that that's also kind of a more recent phenomenon. There's another article I was reading uh, in which they interview Alison Gobnick, who we've spoken about before on the podcast. She wrote about um, the carpenter method of parenting versus the gardener mm-hmm. method of parenting. Um, and she kind of brings up the interesting point that the word parenting is actually a new word. Uh, It was for like, you know, obviously the words mother and father and Mm -hmm. even the word parent have been around, you know, for millennia, as long as the English language has been around. Um, But the word parenting as as a verb, as like a thing that you do first showed up in the 1960s and it's Mm -hmm. only been a common concept since the 1970s. This is an article in The Atlantic. Um, And so it's this even just this like concept of parenting as being something that you do and like a job and you know it's something that if obviously if it's something that you do and if it's kind of a job it's something that you can do right or you can do poorly Uh, and I think that is definitely a new concept
1: well you know I have a couple things to say to that but one of them that you brought up is like your ability to have something totally under control and even that kind of feels like a new thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we have more power than we've ever, bef- you know, like had before, right? It's like, I have all this technology at my disposal. I have all this information. I don't feel like a weak human. It's like these small problems, I'm like, I should be able to handle this. And I mm-hmm. think when you're a parent, you're thinking, like, I'm going to have this on lockdown. I'm going to have like this kid scheduled. I'm mm-hmm. going to get them on a routine and mm-hmm. they're going to go to bed at this time. I got it all in my calendar. And then the kid just, completely disrupts your schedule right
0: yeah because it's a living person yeah it has its own kind of personality and needs and stuff um i think what you're mentioning also kind of brings up another good point though um in that you know we're kind of talking about parents with means right parents who do have the means to control a lot about their child's environment and their education and what they eat and the medical care they get right um And even, you know, these parents you were mentioning who are highly educated and have access to the Internet and various books and like other people who are really educated, who can give them advice and stuff like that. Um, And so obviously that's kind of a more sort of like middle class, upper middle class sort of concern. And also, you know, especially as we're seeing um, in the past few years a lot probably of sort of white middle class and upper middle class concern because parents of, you know, parents of color uh, in communities that are under-resourced have very different concerns and I think perhaps don't have the same type of irrational parenting fear that, like, white middle class and upper middle class families might have. Uh, So we're, you know, that's just, like, a point to bring up, but continue.
1: No, I mean, I think... And these are some of the other points I took away from the study, which I'll get into maybe later. But I think a lot of one's parents fears are related to how much information they have, like what kind of broader community they have to support them, what kind of spouse they have to support them. And I think that varies so much along different races, um, different class levels. For example, if you're Um, in an area that has less resources you have less money you could also be like a single parent and you're being like assailed by all these different concerns in addition to what we've already discussed Um, and it's going to be way worse Mm -hmm. I think on the flip side though you could have all these resources but so do your peers and the people around you Mm -hmm. whether they're white or not but if they're rich you're seeing them and it's kind of this like you know keeping up with the joneses thing mm,
0: where it's just mm-hmm. like oh
1: my god their kid is like this like expert piano player and my kid doesn't even you know he can't even read or something i don't know right. i'm just making stuff up but it's just like there's that peer pressure mm-hmm. that you have to keep up
0: right definitely um and i think i think kind of what we're more talking about in this discussion is is a sort of like irrational parent fear yeah. right it's um it's this is this fear of like any bad thing happening to your child ever in the course of their life really it's not just in their childhood but in their whole life because so much of this is uh trying to mold them into the ideal adult so that when they're an adult they don't have any struggles either um and you know obviously that's not possible uh but also there's it goes along with this this irrational fear of like you know any possible danger, any possible adversity, any possible struggle that your child might have in trying to protect them from it. Um, Whereas I think, you know, people in, you know, in lower socioeconomic status, or or, like I said, in, you know, communities that are disenfranchised, uh, disinvested, there, there's very real fear and very, you know, like adversity that is real and struggles that are real and unavoidable. And, and I we, I couldn't find any specific research on like parent fear in those situations. But I I suspect that the irrational fear and the the idea that you need to protect your child from literally everything exists less in those contexts because it's not it's not realistic. You know, you know that you can't protect your child from everything.
1: Yeah, what's um so also also in this like larger Pew report, they did ask a question about um what do you worry might happen to your kids so kind of Mm. getting at the sphere component Mm -hmm. and there's a couple pretty interesting things about this but the top two the first was like 60 percent of people said they're worried that their kids might be bullied Mm. and i bring that up because like that kind of transcends like any like economic status Mm -hmm. it kind of transcends race like bullying is kind of always a threat Mm -hmm. and that's at 60 percent um and then right behind that um this was at 54%. I'm assuming, you you know, you can select more than one. Mm-hmm. It was they were worried their kids might struggle, uh, struggle with anxiety or depression. And mm-hmm. again, kind of something that anyone can encounter. Mm-hmm. But in addition, if you kind of look more into the data, uh, 31% worried that their kids might get shot. Mm-hmm. And that was obviously much higher. I don't have the data in front of me. But that kind of definitely differenced by race. Mm-hmm. Like if you were black or Mexican, mm-hmm. it was higher than 31%. Right. And, and that's just the average. Mm-hmm. So obviously getting shot is much higher mm-hmm. than perhaps, sorry, much lower probability than getting bullied, but it's still a very real fear.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure.
1: I think the other thing I wanted to add to that, though, is if you even look at like being bullied and struggling with depression and anxiety, I think a lot of that is, new in terms of like our discussion around parenting like Mm. I think previously like you look back maybe two decades what's the biggest fear like your kid's gonna die they're gonna get kidnapped Mm. right Mm -hmm. like I was actually kind of surprised to see that struggling with anxiety or depression was so high up there Mm -hmm. I mean 54% of people like I would have thought you know getting kidnapped would be the number one Mm -hmm. and actually that was number three at 50% Mm. so I just think like our ideas about what's a threat now are much more evolved than they used to be Mm -hmm. and therefore is giving people so many more things to worry about.
0: Right. Well it is it's interesting about the anxiety thing though, because uh in a lot of what I was reading, um the this parenting that is so controlling and is, you know, not allowing children to uh, have more freedom and kind of explore on their own is causing anxiety. Oh, yeah, for sure. right. <laughs> you know, uh, so that's just it's just ironic that that's that's both a fear. But it's also something that is is a product of this.
1: Yeah, I mean, one could assume that a lot of the fear is driven by Like you were saying, you want your kid to succeed. Mm-hmm. You want to minimize their adversity and kind of ward off them being, you know, depressed or anxious But by putting all this pressure on, you make them anxious. And really, to have any kind of success, there needs to be some kind of adversity,
0: right? Mm -hmm. Like you
1: need to kind of play and experience the world and fail at things to know what you're good or not good at. If you have no adversity, you're just gonna kind of suck at life, right? I mean, because you don't know what you're doing. You need to kind of get out there and experience it, right?
0: Well, like what you know, kind of like what we were saying before. uh, You, it's impossible to avoid any kind of struggle or adversity over the course of your entire life yeah, right you know even if you somehow manage to protect your child from ever feeling scared or hurt or sad or you getting sick for the first 18 years of their life it's unless you keep them in your house for Mm -hmm. the rest of their life um it's not possible to have them avoid that forever and so if you're going to experience adversity and struggle and you know, like health problems and things like that at some point in your life, it's helpful to first experience those things in a safe environment with your parents, you know, and, and also even when when you're young and your brain is plastic and, you know, your body recovers more easily from injuries and things like that, to just know, like you said, what you can handle and be to be able to build up your resilience. You know, to, so it's, you know, obviously counterintuitively to some parents allowing your children to get hurt a little bit helps that helps them become stronger later and helps them deal
1: with things later right it's kind of like parent as a guide versus parent you know as like a guardian right. or like a guard mm-hmm. um, you're really not there to protect you're there to help and guide and provide counsel mm-hmm. um, and worry kind of less about shaping someone they're going to figure things out on their own and ideally you want to spare them kind of some of the scarier fears that people do actually have like getting shot getting in trouble with the law which was also on the list Mm -hmm. um but you know being being anxious and depressed like that's just unfortunately a fact of life right Right. it's being a human
0: yeah and of course you know any parent would say well you know i i need to protect my child from you know getting killed or you know something like that that's that's gonna end their life um and so for that reason Uh, As we've discussed before and we've talked about with, you know, um, Lenore Skenazy with the free range child movement, um, people don't let their kids just kind of go out in the neighborhood with their friends or like go to the park by themselves or walk the dog by themselves. That kind of thing. You know, things that were really common in the 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, because there's this idea that like there's a chance that they could get Mm -hmm. kidnapped or. Hit by a car or you know something like that. If you if you let them out by themselves, um, and of course there's a chance, but the probability is so low that it it ends up being a little bit uh, counterproductive because what you're protecting them from is very unlikely to happen. But the effects of them not having the ability to do those things by themselves is. Is definitely harmful and that's definitely going to happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I'm kind of glad you brought up the idea, but like going out on their own, just as like, you know, like an interesting tidbit. They actually talked about that in the Pew Research Report. Mm. And the kind of common consensus among parents is that a kid should be 10 years old Mm. before they could be allowed to go out and play in front of their own house unsupervised. Like in their own yard? Yeah. It said, quote, they should be at least 10 years old before they should be allowed to go out and play in front of their house unsupervised while their adult is inside. That's That's pretty intense, right? That's a little
0: intense. I mean, you know, I'm not that old, but I definitely played in my own yard without my mom out there before, before I was 10.
1: My own yard. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what is 10? Like being in sixth grade?
0: Uh, like fifth grade.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like I remember being in third, fourth, yeah fifth grade, like walking to my friend's house that was like a mile away. Mm-hmm. And I mean, those were some of the best times of my life. like yeah. I got to kind of be out on my own and have my own thoughts and just kind of like enjoy the walk and see the world my way as opposed to like just being in a car or being carted around from one thing to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 i I just can't imagine growing up and not being allowed to leave your house yeah until you're over age 10 You almost a teenager that's
0: a little nuts well it, you know it's there's this there's this fear of like this stranger coming up and snatching your child um but you know as has been cited in many articles before this podcast um there you know there's statistics saying i have them here in this article on parents.com um in you know among all situations of like a child being kidnapped or you know um kind of going missing or something like that, 49% of the perpetrators Mm. in these child kidnappings were a family member. Yeah. And then furthermore, 27% were an acquaintance. So someone that they knew. So that's what 76% of all kidnappings were someone that the, the child knew with most of those being someone who is related to them. Yeah. And only 24% was someone who was a stranger. Yeah, So, you know, uh, there's the joke that people make that like, well, well, you're, you know, it's safer to leave your kid with a stranger because they're more likely to be kidnapped. And there's also statistics saying that they're more likely to be abused mm-hmm. and molested by somebody that they know or by a family member. Yeah. So it's just it's that it's that again thing where there's there's always a risk in anything that you do. Um, but when when we're seeing that the the risk of not giving your your children freedom and overprotecting them. Uh, is much higher and ha- and has real stakes and the the risk of them getting hurt or getting kidnapped or something mm-hmm. like that is so low you kind of have to weigh those those two risks and see which one is worth it.
1: Yeah, and I think um thinking about kind of me walking to my friend's house when I was younger it kind of made me also think of something else that it was different in the sense like I was in a suburb I knew my neighbors a little bit. I just had a really good feel for the area. And Mm -hmm. literally on the walk to even my furthest friend's house, I would pass like five other friend's houses. There was this idea of like, this is my community. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm a little bit safer. And Mm -hmm. I think like, why are parents more fearful now? I think there's been probably an obvious decline in one's community and knowing one's neighbors and kind of being on like one's own island. Mm -hmm. Um. In addition to the fact that people's communities are changing, they're becoming more diverse. And I think one's natural instinct, when one's community changes, which could include becoming more diverse, you kind of retreat initially because you're just like, this isn't what I understand. Mm -hmm. um, And you become fearful.
0: Right. That actually reminds me of another article uh, that I read in in Time magazine um, that was talking more about fear in general like americans mm-hmm. fear about it's a lot about kind of like terrorism and crime and stuff and they were saying that fear in general in america has gone up yeah uh measurably uh and they only they've only been measuring it since the 80s but um or actually no since like 1995 i think but just you know between 1995 and 2001 and obviously to like 2001 they're measuring after nine eleven, mm-hmm. um but it went up six percentage points or something like yep. that in this poll uh and they're kind of talking about what some of the causes of that might be. And one thing they bring up is, uh, it says, another notable difference today is that many people feel that they may have to confront threats on their own. Yeah. Um, It was similar to what you were saying about the community thing. Um, Says... Uh, the, the attack on Pearl Harbor, which is what they were mentioning before, uh, wasn't so scary because even people who just dis- disagreed with Roosevelt's policies largely believed that the U.S. military could defend the nation and eventually win the war. These days, the measurable loss in faith in government combined with the difficulty of fighting terrorism has given the public less confidence that they'll be kept safe. Uh, and so, you know, obviously that's talking more about um, kind of faith in the government and believing that the government is going to keep you safe. But I do think there is a general... Uh, sort of move toward this more like individualistic and more kind of fending for yourself mentality Mm -hmm. which maybe is related to losing trust in the government Um, but obviously it affects parenting too because you you think like I'm the only one who can protect my child and I can't trust anybody else
1: yeah I mean I'll take that perhaps like one step further one of my very first thoughts when we were going into this discussion about why are parents more fearful is that the more like classic institutions they've relied on for help have kind of either been in like like a long-term decline or they've been revealed to be untrustworthy mm. like i'm thinking about the church i was
0: gonna say the catholic church yeah. right mm-hmm.
1: like i feel like i mean i was involved in the church mm-hmm. and my parents left me unsupervised mm-hmm. at the church and with teachers and i think now just given mostly like the prevailing narrative mm-hmm. culturally about priests and members of the church is that they're child molesters yeah whether or not it's true is irrelevant for maybe this moment it's
0: definitely a huge problem
1: yeah it's a huge problem and so that's one thing i'm thinking about even just like you know the police Mm -hmm. you would tell your kid if you see any trouble call the police go with the police officer Mm -hmm. again kind of the narrative right now is just like well maybe that's not the best yeah. Idea, and depending on your own background, mm-hmm. the cop might be a bigger threat in a moment if you're kind of looking mm-hmm. frazzled and crazy, and they don't know how you're going to react. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so like, what's the only option? You know what? Just come to me. Yeah. You know, don't leave my site. I can't trust anyone.
0: Exactly. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. And the the priest thing even kind of goes back to what we, what I was just saying about um, it, often it's people you know and trust yeah. who hurt your kids yeah you know. Uh, And so perhaps subconsciously, knowing that it's people that they know and trust who hurt their kids, people are just trusting fewer people. Oh,
1: I remember kind of us talking about maybe even like months ago, I forgot what we were watching, but I was saying something. I feel like if I had a kid growing up, I would probably tell them like, trust no one Mm -hmm. but me. And maybe that is advice that just plays into the trap we're talking about here, Mm -hmm. but it is kind of a natural instinct just to be like literally trust no one except for me um right. and then like you kind of let people into your life when they prove that they're trustworthy but i feel like traditionally it was here are the people you can trust as a starting point point. Mm-hmm. and i think that's gone
0: right yeah i think you yeah you're you're right there's not that sort of baseline set of like you know always trust a police officer always trust a priest like, right y- you don't have that anymore you know
1: well and i think another point kind of around um one's community and like and like their support system two other kind of stats i wanted to bring in it's just one obviously the rise in like being you know like a single parent mm. and that you know back in the 60s two family households stood at like 73 mm-hmm. percent that's down to 46 percent now where oh, there's wow. two parents in you know, married at mm-hmm. home, yeah, and then kind of coupled with that is something really interesting. Um, This Pew report asked each parent, "Who do you rely on for your advice?" And far ahead was their partner, the each other, each other, they rely on each other. And so, if you're a single parent, it immediately takes out your yeah. biggest support system, mm-hmm. and the the next one after your partner stood at. 19 and 32 percent asking a family member Mm -hmm. that's more than 25 percent lower Mm. than asking your partner so it's just like i can imagine you feeling very alone Mm -hmm. out you know outnumbered against threats if you're a single parent
0: for sure well and you know on the subject of sort of changing family dynamics you know since the 50s or 60s uh nowadays very common for both parents to work yeah and obviously there's There's a lot of kind of social pressure and guilt and blah, blah, blah that goes into specifically mothers working. Um, And I think this is just my speculation, but I think that uh, for some mothers, um, and this goes back into the idea that, like, I should be able to, um, you know, protect my child and control the things that Mm -hmm. happen to my child and protect them from... Any you know health problems or injuries or sadness, and you know you have that feeling that you should be able to do that, and then it is kind of compounded when you are working, and there's like this sort of weird guilt for some people around working, and so you almost feel like you need to try even harder to protect your kid just to prove that working doesn't make you a bad mom. You know, it just makes you even more nervous about it.
1: I have like a great stat to support that. Yeah. Um, in this report they asked, um, the question was saying it matters a lot that blank views you as a good parent. Mm. And unsurprisingly, 93% said their spouse or partner. Mm-hmm. But even the other answers people gave are surprisingly high. 72% of people said they want their own parents to mm-hmm. think they're a good parent. Mm-hmm. I would have thought they'd be much lower. Children's, uh, sorry, like you know, like their friends' parents at 56%.
0: Wait, their children's friends' parents? Yes. Okay, so like, yeah, like other school moms. Other
1: school moms yeah. at 56%. Again,
0: surprisingly
1: high. Yeah, more than high. half, and still over half, they're friends. Hmm. So if you count just over half, that's friends, your kids' friends, parents, your own parents, and your spouse and partner. Yeah. So it feels like you're on display yeah. at all times. Absolutely. And so if you are guilty about working, you're kind of on the chopping block in front of everyone. Mm -hmm. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, and because of, you know, all this sort of information saturation that's out there, um, you know, constant news articles of, you know, breastfeeding is better, formula is better, you know, you have to do this amount of this with your baby and you have to feed them this and do this. Um, Just constant, constant, like, barrage of what you should be doing and shouldn't be doing. It also goes along with this culture of, like, shaming, yeah. you know, of, like, well, you know, this person's a bad parent because they didn't do this, this, and that because I read this article, yeah. you know. And so, it's yeah, it's not just, as we've been talking about, fear of, you know, dangerous things happening to your children. It's the fear of, you know, judgment from other other people and even fear of um, legal action from other people, you know, yeah. who they think that you're neglecting your
1: child. Well, and, and that's actually in the book that actually started this whole discussion on the book small animals she she did have legal action taken against her right because she left her kid in the car for a, few, for a minutes. few minutes yeah um but you know even just one other kind of thing to kind of layer on top of that is not only are you worried about being judged by others just in like normal context the fact that you're constantly talking about parenting on social media mm-hmm. um it feels like you need to put out your best face at all times just right. like any time you're on social media you always yeah. want to like kind of show your best side mm-hmm. but then you're only seeing everyone else's great parenting experiences and you're probably thinking like shit i'm doing an awful job mm-hmm. everyone else's family looks so happy yeah exactly. um it is different and way more difficult i think than it used to be
0: mm-hmm. for sure i have like a point i want to make about because um, i kind of want to tie it back slightly to like communities of color yeah. having real problems and like these kind of fake fears among people who aren't facing real adversity are almost like a, a distraction from real problems. You know, I don't know how to make that point exactly. But there's something kinda like, you know, focusing on these fake fears is not just like it's not just that you're over protecting your kids, but it's also it could distract you from real fears. Is that an interesting point
1: i mean i think there's kind of always that idea of to use a different context the idea of like wanting to like feel productive mm-hmm. and do so many things to keep distracted from like your own problems or the fact that you're gonna die and stuff mm-hmm. like that um and yeah it might be like wanting to give all the support to your kid so you think they're going to succeed knowing that there's problems you can't protect them from Mm -hmm. like the fact that they're going to die and that they're going to get hurt eventually and they're going to probably be bullied or have like you know really bad relationships Mm -hmm. but you feel like if you work hard enough on kind of some of these other things even if they're fake you're doing a good job i don't know
0: yeah no i think that's part of it i also think that um you know kind of tying it into the um the Times the Times the the Time article um, about sort of Americans fear in general and I was kind of talking about like political fear um, and also tying it into what we were talking about before about how, how some communities uh, you know experience a lot more real real danger and real risks um, than kind of the, mm-hmm. the sort of middle upper class communities we're talking about in the Time article it talked about how you know fear has been used as more of a political tool in in recent decades um you know obviously we see that a lot these days in the past past few years and so there's obviously a lot of sort of political fear around like fear about um the the state of the world you know like climate change like you know terrorism whatever like lots of things happening and you know kind of to your point you're thinking like well you know at least if i'm like doing all these things um Mm -hmm. i can I can, like, try to protect my child at least I'm doing something. I think there's also, though, this element of, like, you know, the world is crazy. Um, I can't change the world. So I'm at least going to make it so that my kid is safe, you know? And I think that it's a totally understandable um, position to have. But I think it also is kind of making us more and more individualistic and, and less willing and less likely to think about other communities that you know have have real dangers happening you know every day and like i think that if we you know if people who are putting all of this effort into protecting their children from from things that are unlikely to happen focus that energy on helping to change our sort of political system and kind of what's happening for other families that are experiencing a lot of risk and a lot of danger you know maybe maybe there would be even fewer risks and fewer dangers in the world at large
1: for us to all worry about yeah i mean we're kind of veering off and i like it so Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna like double down on it yeah like i'm just thinking about all the crime we have where we live and Mm -hmm. and i think the fact yes and 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 i think people have largely given up on doing anything about it Mm Mm-hmm. Because they feel like either there's nothing can be done or I'm safe, right? Kind of tying back to your point mm-hmm. about I'm just going to worry about me. You just
0: build a wall around your own yeah. house. Yeah.
1: But I think if people knew they could change something, they probably would. I I, I just think I feel like everyone's given up. Am I being too no. negative?
0: No, I think I think you're totally right, and I I think that there is this mentality, like you know, not just talking about Trump, but like there is this sort of like build a wall around yourself mentality. You know, and I build a wall around your child. And if you build this like big enough wall around your child, then nothing can ever hurt them. But in in doing that, uh, you're not only are you kind of setting your child up for, for failure, but you you're actually allowing the real dangers in the world to kind of keep going unchecked because we're we're not working together to go back to your previous point about being a community and kind of all looking out for each other and keeping each other safe. And the, the the things that are dangerous in the world and are harmful in the world um, aren't really getting addressed because all we're worrying about doing is build, putting a wall in between us and, and the dangerous things. And, um, you know, instead of just trying to separate ourselves from, from things that are dangerous, mm-hmm. we could be working to, you know, teach our children how to deal with dangerous things and how to, you know deal with sad emotions and um you know arming them with uh information about how to protect their own health you know and that seems like a more productive use of time because then they can then use that knowledge to protect themselves and you can stop worrying about them and then they can pass that knowledge on to others
1: yeah you know i'm i'm thinking about all of these stickers i see that are plastered up downtown chicago maybe you don't see them because you don't commute Mm -hmm. into the loop every day but there's these stickers on lampposts that said, helping others helps yourself. Mm. Um, and it kind of reminded me of a little bit of what you're saying, where making the world a better place kind of pays dividends mm-hmm. for you. And I think if we focus less on building a wall and figuring out how we can protect ourselves, almost like going on the offense and learning how to deal with things mm-hmm. and helping others, yeah, I think it would diffuse a lot of these problems totally i mean it's even to use a totally different example i feel like everything with climate change people's biggest reaction is we got to move to mars <laughs> right or we yeah. got to like build this like doomsday shelter like why don't we just solve the problem
0: exactly because that there's that's you know time and effort and resources being put into just saving yourself yeah but you know we could try to save everybody you know instead of just you know to tie it back into the parenting thing instead of just focusing so much energy on protecting your own child from things that are unlikely to really harm them. Let's work on protecting all children yeah. from, from dangers that are out there, you know? And um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think also like one last thing I'll say is that in this Boston Globe article that I was referencing before, the author reaches out to this man whose, um, whose child was kidnapped uh, and unfortunately killed a long time ago. And, he kind of started this campaign of, you know, informing yourselves and keeping your kids safe. And the, the author of the article was wondering if perhaps this contributed to this culture of fear and he disagreed. Um, but basically what he said, what he said to the author um, in the article or like in, in the interview was you need to teach your child how to be safe, you know, rather than and it was interesting that his message wasn't you need to protect your child. Mm-hmm. It was you need to you need to teach your child. He says you need to teach your child hygiene, sex education. The most important thing is personal safety. Don't be paranoid. Don't tell them they can't go to sleep camp or go online. Give them the tools to make them safe. And he says maybe you'll be one of the lucky ones. which yeah. is a little dramatic. But, um, you know, I, I do think that that's a better message than just saying you need to protect your children from the dangers. It's that you need to teach them how to protect themselves because one day you're not going to be around.
1: Yeah. And
0: if they have the tools to protect themselves and they have the wherewithal to to assess risky situations and to address danger and to, you know, deal with problems, that's also helpful, like we were saying, kind of for, for their community and for the world, you know, to have people who are armed with, with helpful knowledge and problem-solving skills.
1: I totally agree. I to add. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks for that discussion. Hope you guys enjoyed it too. Uh, if you agree, disagree, or if you have another perspective to share, we would love to hear from you. Uh, you can always email us at fwdpodcastgmail.com at forward forwardpodcast at gmail.com. And um, if you uh, would like, we would love to read out some of your responses in our next episode.
1: Thank you so much for listening, and if you like this podcast, you can just search for Forward, that's FWD, in iTunes, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcast apps to subscribe, and you can also subscribe on SoundCloud and YouTube. Goodbye for now. Goodbye.